3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. CCR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 8:30 a.m. Good morning, listeners. It's Thursday, the fourth of Jan- uh, February. Whoa, yep. already. <laughs> are you listening to Thursday Breakfast? Good morning, Priya. Good morning, Shahrazad. How are you today? Yeah, not bad. I can't believe it's February already. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's wild. I feel like we lost all of January. I, I don't even know where that time went. I'm, I'm hoping that 2021 time isn't all warped and weird like it was last year where March was like 10 years and then, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the rest c- kind of Got away from us. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we jump into everything, if you haven't heard already, there's been some changes to Victoria's coronavirus restrictions um, in light of a COVID-19 positive test that was associated with, um, I think, an employee associated with the Australian Open. Um, so if you head to dhhs.vic.gov.au slash coronavirus, you can find more information about that. Um, but some of the restrictions are uh, there's been a reduction from a maximum of 30 people indoors at a gathering to 15 and masks have to be worn indoors. And there's been a pause on the Andrews government's introduction uh, uh, or, sorry, relaxation of restrictions for expanded um, numbers of people in workplaces. So um, if you want to see how those affect you and if you want to see um, areas of exposure, please yeah, head to the DHHS website. Um, you know, we've got to just make sure that everybody stays safe. We don't want to be in a situation like last year. And obviously, you know, we're not going to lockdown now, but every little bit that we can do to prevent this spreading helps. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what do we have on our show today? It's a bit packed. Um, so, well, firstly, we'll have the headlines with Carly. So we'll be calling Carly to give us some of their headlines. And then we'll listen to an interview from April last year, so almost a year ago, uh, with Chris Sharinga from the Goongra Environment Centre who spoke to us about the 10-year login exemptions that had been rolled over in late March last year in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and restrictions associated with that while the area was recovering from the season's devastating bushfires. Um, And so this is particularly relevant because uh, yesterday the federal court dismissed a case brought by the Bob Brown Foundation against Tasmania's state-owned forestry agency, arguing its native forest logging is inconsistent with federal laws. So the federal court dismissed that. Um, and then we'll be crossing live at 7.30 to Isaac Garne, who is currently occupying a tree in an area of the lands of the Gunai Kunai and Bidawal and Monero people, also known as East Gippsland, which is earmarked for logging by big forests uh, this year, despite government recommendations released uh, in October last year uh, saying to not log the area. Or to not log in general. 
Um, and after that, we're going to be joined by Carly Finlay and C.B. Mako. Carly Finlay, OAM, is a writer, speaker, and appearance activist and the author of Memoir Say Hello. And she's also the editor of a new anthology, Growing Up Disabled in Australia. And C.B. Mako is a nonfiction, fiction, and fan fiction writer and a contributor to Growing Up Disabled in Australia. So we're going to be talking to them about that brand new anthology. Definitely grab yourself a copy. It looks amazing. Um, after that, I'm going to speak to Tamika Tai, who's a Gomorrah, Dangari, and Burupi woman and member of Gamilaray Next Generation and also of FIST. Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember how the abbreviation goes, but I will get back to you on that. Um, but she's going to join us to talk about tomorrow's Narrabri Day of Action to uh, protest Santos Narrabri Gas Project and the Santos Festival of Rugby. Uh, if people aren't familiar, this is to do with Santos attempting to frack in the Pilaga on Gomorrah country. And now there are two uh, two more actions, I think, uh, in Brisbane and in Sydney. Uh, if you want to find out more information, you can go to at Gamilaray Next Generation, which is G-A-M-I-L-A-R-A-A-Y, Next Generation on Instagram. And also you can search them up on Twitter and see whether there are any actions happening near you and what you can do to support. Um, and finally, um, Shahrazad. Yeah, uh, Dahlia Nash Hussain will join us, and she's a writer and editor. Her work has appeared in Voice Works, Lifted Brow, Ibis House, Mianjin, and Going Down Swinging. Uh, and she's also the co-editor at Liminal. And she joins us to discuss the digital launch of Voice Works issue number 121, Root, where you, fi- where you will find knitted boyfriends, flooded apartments, and regret-filled regret werewolves. So we'll find out a bit more about what that means uh, at 8.15. Awesome. It's going to be a packed show, and we're really excited for you to hear what we've got in store. Hi, everyone. My name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm with 3CR Community Radio. Every year we have a subscription drive. It's a way of supporting our organisation maintain itself through the year, and we rely on the support of the, the community. One way to do that is to subscribe Become a member. Become part of this organisation itself. Get in contact with 3CR. You can go to the website, 3cr.org.au, or you can ring on 9419 3CR ensures that our voices, Aboriginal voices, are heard on this radio station. So it's a good way of supporting Aboriginal people as well, by becoming a subscriber for 3CR Community Radio. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Yan. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
And we're back on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m. It is 7.09 a.m. And now we're going to go to Carly with the news headlines. Hello, Carly. Hello, Priya. Hello, Shahrazad. Hi. How's everyone going? Oh, not too bad. How are you going? Oh, great. Um, So it's daylight savings here where I am up in Minjin. Um, So while, yeah, you're starting um, all at 7 o'clock, I woke up at 6 this morning to do headlines. So let's get into it. Um, Amazing. In response to findings from an independent report, Collingwood Football Club officials, including President Eddie Maguire, have denied that the club has historical and ongoing problems with systemic racism. Former Collingwood star player, Hercia Lamamba, who has spoken publicly about his experiences of racism at the club, has described the responses disturbing, painful and offensive. While the report did not investigate Lumumba's experiences specifically, Amy Maguire reports in The Guardian Australia that Lumumba has felt vindicated by its findings. On the 1st of February, the Victorian Labor government formed a partnership with Albert Systems of Australia to establish a centre of excellence for human and machine teaming in Melbourne. Albert is an Israeli global conglomerate that currently provides digitisation technologies to the Australian Defence Force. This announcement from the Victorian government was delivered on the same day that Palestine Action and Extinction Rebellion activists chained themselves to gates at the Albert Ferranti factory in Oldham, Manchester. The protest comes after the UK Ministry of Defence procured Albert for a new sensor-to-shoot system, the latest technology in the defence industry. And the GameStop saga continues as small-time investors drive up the price of silver. GameStop, the parent company of the Australian chain EB Games, made headlines last week when a large group of investors drove up the price of GameStop shares to challenge hedge funders' tactic of shorting. Hedge funders benefit from this tactic by placing bets on the decline of a company's shares, but lose out when share prices increase, or in the case of GameStop, dramatically surge. With many analysts reporting that the short squeeze is over, the tactic, which was openly discussed on Reddit, highlights the power of mass mobilisation through social media to manipulate the international stock market. And lastly, to Luchirwitta, so-called Tasmania, where environmentalists have lost a case to end forest logging. The Bob Brown Foundation lodged the challenge against the Tasmanian government, the federal government and state-owned logging corporation Sustainable Timber Tasmania in the federal court last year. Yesterday, the federal court handed down their decision in favour of the government and logging corporation outlining that Tasmania's regional forest agreement was enforceable under the Federal Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. The Bob Brown Foundation are considering appealing the decision and will continue to campaign against the logging of native forests, some of which are home to the critically endangered species, such as the swift parrot. And that's all for headlines on the 4th of February. Thanks so much, Carly. I mean, I always feel like... So conflicted talking about Bob Brown because I know he's been he's been involved in pushing some Malthusian logic about uh about population growth, but at the same time, you know, it is so so important to make sure that 
there that these old growth forests aren't logged and to try and you know, actually engage some environmental protection legislation in a meaningful way. Mm. Well, like what happened last year in Victoria when that um, federal there was a federal court judgment um, that banned logging in 67 coops in the Central Highlands on the basis that the state's agency, so Vic Forest, had breached um, a regional forest agreement between the state government and the federal government. So that was, yeah, I, I was... I think a lot of people were hoping that um, this court case with Bob Brown um, would have uh, gone through, you know? So mm. yeah. yeah. And there are actually some reviews at the moment going on as well with the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. Um, but I think that case that you were talking about, Scheherazade, they were trying to save the Leadbeater possum. Yeah. Um, and that's what generally has to happen, unfortunately, under the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. Everything whittles down to trying to save these critically endangered species um, when it's not really about saving or, like, thinking about broader ecosystems at play. Um, and, yeah, just for listeners, the Swiss parrot is incredibly beautiful and I'd really recommend just googling it and having a look um, and I mean their name comes from being streamlined for speed and they're one of the few truly migratory parrots in the world and in autumn um, the entire population actually migrates from Lucharita to um, Kula Nation's land in Victoria the Great Dividing Range and I just love the birds especially are like what are borders like <laughs> stunning and i just googled the swift parrot and i can confirm everyone should google the swift parrot they're beautiful um thank you so much for doing headlines carly um do you have any song requests uh of course priya of course i have a song request <laughs> so smooth so Sorry. smooth <laughs> um so actually it would have been maybe late in so not last year um but actually the year before I uh, can't believe how long I've been doing radio, but I interviewed Wari, and Wari is a part of an up-and-coming band, Izzy, um, and Izzy has just released a new single, and so I'd love for listeners to hear it. Uh, it's called No Further Than You. Great, and we'll put that on now.
And that was No Further Than You by Izzy, which has a shockingly uh, low amount of streams considering what a banger it is. So I recognize, uh, so I recommend that everybody goes and has a listen to that now and checks out um, Izzy's other tracks. Um, and next we're going to go to uh, Chris Scherenga from Goonger Environment. Uh, what was it? Environment. Center, yes, um, who spoke to us in April 2020 about the 10-year logging exemptions that had been rolled over in late March last year in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and restrictions while the area was recovering from that season's devastating bushfires. These logging exemptions mean that native forests are, to conti- are going to be continued to be destroyed, um, and we're just going to play an excerpt of that interview for you right now. So, um, firstly, could you tell us a bit about uh, Gecko or the Goongro Environment Centre and the work that you do there, Chris? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're a grassroots community group that are based in the small town of Goongro in far east Gippsland. Um, we've been campaigning since 1993, not me, but the group. Uh, it's a long history of, um, of campaigning for protection of east Gippsland forests and that's using a variety of strategies like education, Raising public awareness, lobbying, uh, long history of blockading and non-violent direct action, and also citizen science and forest monitoring. So, yeah, we do we do a lot of different kind of kind of work to to protect forests and and to campaign for forest protection in East Gippsland. Okay, um, and a couple of weeks back um, on March 30th, um, the Vic government extended the regional forest agreements for another 10 years. Could you tell us firstly about the RFAs and secondly what, what this means? Uh, so the regional forest agreements or also known as uh, legal exemptions are contracts between state and federal governments which give the logging industry in Victoria exemption from national environment law like the EPBC Act. Uh, so it's yeah, it's a really dodgy contract which has been going on for years. Before we get into sort of what, what's happened in the bushfires and how that's affected East Gippsland, can we talk firstly about the, the timing here? So this was like, you know, a couple of weeks ago in the middle of uh, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, so why were these, what, why do you think these agreements were passed then? And could you speak to that? Yeah, so 
Um, I think that, I mean, the, the agreements uh, were set to be uh, signed off on that day. There was an, expi- like an expiry date and they were set to be signed off. But I think what's really irresponsible is that they, at least in, in terms of East Gippsland, the regional forest agreement shouldn't have been signed given the given the extensive impacts of the bushfires. And there's not even logging happening in East Gippsland at the moment. So it just seems really, um, yeah, just irresponsible or that they couldn't just wait until impact assessments have been done on certain species. They know, they know what sort of impact logging they're going to have uh, and also changes to law and policies around threatened species and, and things like that. So that's the really frustrating thing that they've just sort of gung-ho gone in and signed off on these dodgy agreements um, without really considering what's happened and also the health crisis as well. It sort of leaves, yeah, means there's not as much scrutiny and not as much focus on and attention on what's going on in these dodgy laws that have just been passed. Yeah, um, and you talked about like some changes in the laws. Uh, what did you? What, what changes in what laws? I mean, um, as because because of the bushfires, mm. there, there will be changes to policies mm. and environmental laws to strengthen to strengthen protections for threatened species. And so, really, what should be happening is no, uh, no logging should be happening until that happens, because then anything that happens between now and then could be potentially, yeah, devastating for wildlife if it's the same practices, yeah. Uh, we know that uh, the bushfires uh, heavily impacted Victoria and destroyed a lot of rainforest and also the habitat of already threatened species. And we know that the bushfires also destroyed areas that were earmarked for conservation and also uh, there are still scheduled logging to be done in um, some forests around, in unburnt forests around Victoria. So tying that all, all together, could you, could you expand on, on, on that, like the effects of the bushfires and also the sort of continued scheduling of uh, logging of native forests? Mm. Well, I mean, um, Melbourne's really lucky on its doorstep. There are forests in the Central Highlands, which are, yeah, two hours away from Melbourne. Um, and I think that the bushfires really mean that we need to think about certain species on a state-based level. You know, the Central Highlands has, has populations of bushfire-affected threatened species like the Greater Glider, uh, City, City Owl, Powerful Owl. And so I think it's really important to think about it in a state-based context that these really important areas on East Gippsland have been, and we need to make sure that the unburnt areas are protected and also that they're not salvage logging in East Gippsland. But it's also really important to focus on the Central Islands as well and that key animal populations are there. And a massive fire event is becoming, becoming more frequent, um, more likely because of climate change, hotter and drier conditions, drought. And so we need to safeguard our natural environment for the future threats. And I think it's so important that forests across Victoria, really native forest logging is just not sustainable anymore across the state. And the government announced the end in 2030, but forests, we just don't have that kind of time. So I think that really now the government has to start transitioning the industry now 
Yeah. Mm. Uh, these sort of like governmental responses to delaying um, sort of defunding the industry and delaying sort of stopping the log- logging industries has been always about jobs and these sort of economic and economic viability, which sort of shadows um, maybe some ideological reasoning behind it and maybe like that business mentality of the government uh, rather than looking to for long-term impacts, especially you just mentioned the effects of, of climate change. Australia is getting hotter. Um, we're going to see more bushfires um, and that's going to impact the, the Australia's environment and the humans and, and sort of the economic, like what does that, what do these economic viability responses mean, you know, within all that? Could you speak yeah. a bit to that? Uh, I think that, well, I mean, recently an article just, just came out which um, spoke about uh, what, how much money it would cost the government to transition out of native forest logging if they were to do it now, uh, and it was and it was commissioned by the Greens, and it came out that if if the industry were to transition now, the government would save 192 million dollars. So the and that money could be spent on security for workers and actually putting money into industries that, that are sustainable and giving giving workers an opportunity to transition because we've known the industry has been collapsing. There isn't security for workers. Um, and so really it's, it's the economic balance and I think also um, putting money into rural communities and initiatives to, to support jobs, which, which can be sustained because jobs in native forest logging it's just not it's not a viable industry anymore so I think that ultimately this decision not only is it economically beneficial it it will actually support workers to to have security Mm -hmm. because right now yeah right now I mean as part of the government government announcement there was money that that would be available for for workers to exit but that money is not available for another five years so Imagine that, learning that you'd lost your job, but then knowing that you wouldn't be able to have the support to be able to transition for another five years. That's pretty, yeah. It's got to lose work at high and dry, I think. Yeah. Um, and and also you were you were speaking uh, just just before in our in our conversation just before we started recording about how people up in Gungra and I suppose East 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 Gippsland um, on a whole are still recovering for, from the direct impacts from the bushfires that were just yeah. a few months ago. Could you speak yeah. about a bit about what's what's going on up in up there? I think the the forest is is recovering. Um, and it, like it's quite, it's quite green. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of rain and yeah, so it sort of like looks like the areas, um, the forest area around is about to be back a little bit or starting to recover, which is really nice. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the community that, that live out there, uh, are just rebuilding their lives and rebuilding their homes. Um, cause some of, yeah, some of them lost their homes there. Uh, and also then I think trying to reconcile with this new crisis as well and, and it's, it's difficult. Um, the bushfires were so horrific for so many people. Um, and then to experience this health crisis as well on the back of it, it's, it's yeah, it's tough times. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
but the people in Green are extremely resilient and self-sufficient and I think um, yeah a strong community of people who yeah Okay. So, you know, has there been talk about those links between the bushfires and the um, and the logging industry? Uh, but also, I guess, what are the next steps from here? Um, in terms of uh, logging and, and fire security, there's, there's some really great, um, great published work by Professor David Lindemeyer that talks a lot about that. I probably can't speak to, speak to a lot of the details, but basically the studies show that um, yeah, when you when you clear fell an, an area, and then the younger trees grow back, and they suck water out of the soil, drying the soil, and then um, they become more fire. It becomes more fire prone, and also when it does burn, it, it burns at a higher intensity because the trees are smaller. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had in the future or something that's really spoken about because I think uh, um, it's a very emotive topic for people and there's a lot of misinformation out there around uh, what causes fires. Um, and, it, yeah, I, I think it's, it's just such a contentious space with a lot of debate and I think what's really needed is just really clear messaging and debunking of myths that just aren't, aren't true so that just don't continue to be perpetrated. So that was Chris Schringer from Gecko, who spoke to us in April 2020, so last year, about the 10-year login exemptions that had just been rolled over in March last year. Uh, in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and restrictions. Um, and we're just trying to get Isaac on the line. Um, so Isaac is currently sitting four metres up high in a tree um, in the in Goongra or in the Erinandra Plateau uh, in an area earmarked to be logged. So while we get him on, we might just uh, listen to a few community announcements. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. Um, so joining us on the line is Isaac Carnet, who is in a tree sit, or in other words, occupying a tree earmarked for logging on the Erinandra Plateau in Gurnai-Kurnai, Bidawell, Monero country, also known as East Gippsland. Hi, Isaac. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you going? Not too bad. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing up this uh, 40 metre high eucalypt? Yes. So um, I've been living in East Gippsland since uh, March uh, last year. And uh, since being there, I mean, it's been uh, really obvious to me uh, the, the, the extent and the impact of the, of the bushfires, right? 
and um, you just see it every day, just uh, driving on the road, and how how vast and, and intense that that event was. And um, uh, soon after, just um, uh, moving there, like I started to see also how um, the logging industry um, would just like really go into some of those really um, uh, affected areas and and just would uh, do what they call uh, salvage logging and. Um, and 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 it, it's quite dramatic to see like a, a bush that um, you know it, it, it was banned, but um, but uh, is trying to uh, regenerate, trying to come back, and then uh, how um, logging goes there and completely flattens the place. Um, so then, like you know, soon after we learned that um, they started to, to to plan to log like the uh, Erinandra Plateau. There's like 60 new areas in the Erinandra Plateau, which is an area that. Uh, magically, it didn't burn uh, during the bushfires, and um, yeah, I just I just started to think that um, that uh, I needed to do something to to raise awareness and to to try to stop it. And um, thanks to you know a lot of people, uh, Gecko especially, and um, you know other other um, uh, people in the community, um, we've we've established this this tree seed, which is in this um, beautiful. Um, Mesmerite eucalypt that um, uh, it's um, you know it's uh, about 50 meters high and I'm, I'm about 40 meters high and uh, we were uh, able to establish this tree seed before they the machines moved in so for now we've uh, halted the the logging but um, yeah we don't know what, what's going to happen. So Isaac, you have been there since Monday or Sunday night, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So how's it been uh, while you've been up there? Uh, <laughs> what do well, you do been, when you're up in a tree 40 metres high? <laughs> well, to be honest, the first three days, I think it was it was a test that the tree was pulling on me and <laughs> it was pretty rough because um, the weather was uh, quite wild. I think uh, one day we had more than 40 mils of rain and we even had hail. <laughs> So I don't know. Um, I think like a hail storm is already pretty rough on the ground. So 40 meters high, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's like a, a bit of a life-changing experience to to have a hailstorm up on a on a platform 40 meters high. So I think that um, yeah, for the first uh, three four days, I've been trying to to settle in into into my new home and just getting used to being being so high up. And also keeping keeping dry and warm, which is you know it's been uh, it, it's been uh, a challenge, but it's been fine thanks to to the amazing ground crew. Like this, there's, there's about ten people uh, in a camp that we've set up a couple of hundred meters from the uh, from the tree seat, and uh, you know they keep me warm, they keep me uh, um, fed, and uh, well looked after. Oh, excellent. Um, and so, can you tell us a little bit about the so the the loggers or Vic Forest were meant to come in and uh, they were stopped. So how, how exactly did – so you're in the tree and you mentioned a bit about the camp. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. more about what's going on? Yeah. So, well, what um, what they uh, usually do is like they um, they set out uh, the areas that they're, that they're going to be intending to, to go and log and then um, uh, just write – Right before they're gonna move in, they uh, need to release their, their their schedule for for the month. 
Uh, sometimes, like, they do it late and they move in uh, just before they put it on the website. Uh, you know, it's a little bit like they do a little bit what they want. Um, but also they need to, to mark the area with uh, with tape. So we um, we saw that they were already, um, you know, started to, to mark uh, uh, an area nearby. And we saw the, the this particular coop, this particular area that was going to be uh, locked um, uh, in in January. That was the that was the that idea, and uh, so you know, I mean, we we had been thinking about this uh, already uh, beforehand, uh, and um, yeah, we just uh, we just decided to to move move quickly and uh, try to come before they before the machines were here, and um, yeah, that's that's what happened. I mean, we've we've had a um, on the Monday and then Tuesday. Um, Someone from Big Forest just drives drives through and and took a couple of photos. But um, uh, you know we had the the um, the cops just came yesterday and also had a look had a look at me from from down there uh, with the binoculars and I I wasted them. But um, we haven't heard anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I like the the wave to the to the cops. <laughs> yeah, I wanted I wanted I wanted to make sure that he saw me that uh, I was up here. It's not like just like a a blue tarp up the tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, we just listened to an interview that we conducted last year with Gecko mm-hmm. um, about uh, the impact of the bushfires on the native old growth forests in Victoria. Yeah. Also, you did mention um, that that. It, Everything down from the plateau um, is is burnt. Uh, I actually drove through that during um, uh, early in mm. January, and it was still yeah, it's quite. You can see the impact of the bushfires uh, yeah, and the it's plateau. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the plateau uh, was not uh, burnt. Mm. Um, so mm. I guess could you could you explain um, maybe a bit? Yeah. So Chris talked about the rollover of the regional forest agreements. Uh, last yeah. year, and that there were no sort of um, plans to not. They didn't log because of COVID, uh, COVID restrictions, but I think logging yeah. was supposed to start again this year. So, do you yeah. know much about that? Could you speak a bit about well, what's happening? They that? actually, they actually did started doing some logging uh, last year, like in August. They actually um, uh, near near Gunga, which is where where I live, which is a small community um, quite close to the Irinander Plateau here in East Gippsland. So behind um, this is um, a place, Mount Jersey, which was, you know, temperate rainforest, and uh, it all it all got burned as well. Um, but you know, a strong strong forest that was regenerating. And um, in August, about August, they um, they started logging there, and they logged a couple of um, areas, and one of them like uh, beautiful like old trees <clears throat> that um sorry. That um that we're still alive, you know, and just that because a a forest burns doesn't mean that it's that it's dead. Um, but they uh they also see that uh, uh they can see that like this salvage logging is like oh we're just going in and trying to get a timber before everything's uh, dead and we can't use it. But uh, you know that's uh, that's that's how they look at things. Like they they don't they don't see that the the forest is actually uh, coming back. Um, so that was last year and. Um, I think, like, uh, also, like, the thanks to uh, uh, freedom of information requests uh, from from Gecko, um, uh, we obtained this report that uh, uh, was a communication between the Environment Department and Big Forest, and the Environment Department was uh, uh, recommending Big Forest not to uh, log in unburned areas because of the 
the damage um, that that would cause uh, after, especially after the bushfires, due to the the unburned areas being the the best of the best in terms of the, what's remaining of habitat in in East Gippsland, and um, so that includes the Erinandra Plateau, especially like. Uh, you know, this, this is like a, one of the last refuges for a lot of the wildlife uh, in East Gippsland. Um, you know, we have um, powerful owls, uh, greater gliders, and um, this, this, that's the thing. There's, there's, there's not much more uh, other than this. So, um, you know, there's there, this park here, and there's some, some level of protection in some areas of the plateau. But um, if everything around it, that it's not protected, gets logged, like how much longer it's gonna it's gonna take for another bushfire just to go through through the park and then lose absolutely everything. Like it's not just about the um, the national parks. It's also like what we have around it. And <clears throat> if we if we lock everything around it, like that protection as well that um, that, that that leaves um, just close to the rainforest, for instance, the, the temperate rainforest. If we eliminate all the all the forest around it. That will make the next fire much more likely to go through the plateau as well. Yeah, and it sort of highlights the importance of um, ecosystems and thinking beyond sort of a singular issue. Um, and so, exactly. yeah, and also uh, the, the frontline action is very important, especially um, at this time. Uh, up in the Erinandra Plateau, actually, there was a logging coop that was saved from... Uh, logging and it's now an mm. old growth walk. It has the tallest and largest trees in the state of so-called Victoria um, and yes. that was saved from <clears throat> community action as well. So it is really important to do that and I guess uh, lead this, this to wrap up the interview how can people get involved or find out more? Well I think um, <clears throat> we've created a, a platform for, the, for this campaign. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, morning. <clears throat> I haven't had a coffee yet. <clears throat> uh, go get a coffee. <laughs> Just go, go down for your tree sit and go get a coffee. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm going to ask for one now. <laughs> no, um, uh, yes, yeah, Saver in Andra. That's, uh, that's the name of, uh, of the campaign. Uh, we've created an Instagram account, um, also a Twitter handle, and uh, an email address, saverinandra at gmail.com. Um, uh, we, need, we need people here at camp. Um, but also we we welcome like uh, you know messages of support and uh, people sharing our stories, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, showing showing um, their support and uh, also um, kind of raising this 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 issue. Uh, and also like if you, if you go to the Gecko website or uh, Gecko socials, like uh, we're posting also all the updates on on this campaign. Great. Thank you so much, Isaac, uh, for sharing what it's like up there. Um, yeah, and also just for listeners, GECO stands for the Green Grow Environment Centre. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's all we have time for. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. And that was Isaac Karne, who's currently occupying a tree in an area of the lands of the Gunai, Kurnai, Bidawell and Monero people, also known as East Gippsland. And this is an area earmarked for logging by Vict Forest, despite government recommendations released in October last year saying to not log. Hi. 
I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, helping, giving us a chance to do this it's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now hopefully it goes, it keeps going you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners We can't blame everything on the external so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family if you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 This morning we're joined by Carly Finlay and C.B. Marco. Carly Finlay OAM is a writer, speaker and appearance activist. She is the author of memoir Say Hello and the editor of a new anthology, Growing Up Disabled in Australia. C.B. Marco is a non-fiction, fiction and fan fiction writer and contributor to Growing Up Disabled in Australia and they both join us this morning to discuss that very book. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So just before we begin, I just want to say how much I've really enjoyed reading the book so far. It's been such a pleasure and just so many great um, yeah, writers and contributors. It's a really vast collection, so it's really awesome. Um, could I just begin by getting you each to introduce yourself? So perhaps, Carly, you could just talk a little bit about what you do first up. Sure. So I'm Carly Finlay, and I uh, am a writer and speaker and I edited Growing Up Disabled in Australia. Uh, I pitched a book to Blackheath after I was asked to write for Growing Up African in Australia. So it's been in train for a very long time and I'm really excited that it's finally out in the world. Great, thank you. And CB, could I hear, um, hear from you about what, what you're up to at the moment? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm, I'm Kobe. That's what my friends call me. And um, I'm one-fourth of the... A collective called Disabled Q BIPOC Collective, and that's our. And we have advocacy online, and we do sensitive reading as well. And um, I'm one of the contributors of the anthology, which is the fifth of the series under the Black Ink Books uh, Publishing 
of the Growing Up series. Thank you so much. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Kabi, so it, it is the fifth book in the Growing Up series published by Black Ink. And Carla, you mentioned that you had actually pitched this book to Black Ink to continue that um to, to picture growing up disabled in Australia in that series. Could you just talk a bit about why you thought it was important to pitch that book and, and also the idea of growing up and that moment of growing up, what that, what, how that's um, an important point of life to capture? Sure. So every time a growing up book was announced, um, the Twitter chat would be really big around it and people would say, what about growing up disabled? What about growing up mentally ill? And I, you know, knew that, that there was a need for it. Obviously, um, didn't have to look at Twitter to know that. But uh, I pitched it because we needed it. we needed that one in the series, I, I believe. And I also think that disability is underrepresented in terms of us telling our stories on our own terms. And so it was really important for me to have a group of disabled people in a space for us by us to tell our stories um, and in terms of growing up I think that the book uh, the stories in the book aren't always linear so they're not always about growing up as a child there are people who have written around acquiring a disability as an adult and I think that's really important too we all grow and we all learn our identity and as I wrote and many other people wrote I didn't grow up disabled even though I had a rare skin condition, the rest of your skin condition since birth, I didn't see that as a disability and it took meeting others um, to realise that it was a disability. Yeah, one of the key uh, themes throughout the anthology I found was this idea of the disability community and definitely some writers saying that it took some time to identify as disabled or define that community. And I felt like there was also a real sense of celebration in the strength and supports provided by the disability community or created by the disability community. So maybe I'll get each of you uh, to respond to that and just talk about your experience of that community and how you see it running through the anthology. Uh, CB, do you want to start? Yep. Um, we really want to include uh, the disabled voices into the mainstream narrative, especially among the black indigenous people of color. Uh, we're not represented within the disabled uh, um, narrative, so to be included in this anthology is a privilege so that our voices as people of color are included in the discussion about our disabilities because many of us have invisible and visible disabilities and we're not acknowledged or or we're hidden because of the um, narratives of our families. They don't want to acknowledge that we have disabilities. Yeah, thank you so much. And Carly, did you want to speak a bit to community as well? Yeah, I feel like having... A strong community around disability is very, very important for us understanding ourselves and also supporting each other. Um, but I know at times, from my experience, it's been really hard to be a person, you know, with a profile in the disability community, a person of colour in the disability community, because I still feel there is a hierarchy and, and a policing within the disability community of who get to participate and have a voice, and that's just not fair. We really need to be amplifying 
um, you know, uh, more diverse voices than, than we see in the media. Yeah, thank you so much for that. CB, I wanted to um, just talk a little bit about your piece, which is titled December 3, I believe. Um, yes. And you talk in that piece about a duality of being both uh, a carer and disabled at the same time and how that can not be recognised by the system and sometimes not be recognised by your own communities. And I just wanted to, if, if you could speak a little bit about that sense of duality and what the importance of that in your piece and your experience as well. Okay, because the reason why it's December 3, the title is December 3, because that's the International Day of People with Disability. And uh, among the migrant communities, we're already excluded the moment we have a disability because of the traditional values of the migrant communities, especially if they're um, of uh, religious backgrounds. They say it's a curse. It's uh, you have bad karma. So we are from that first level alone. We are excluded. And then the moment we have an offspring that is also disabled, that's a double whammy. It becomes triple whammy even when because we're people of color and then they were disabled. So there's so much intersectionality in one in in my daughter, in my child, and I and. Uh, so much to uh, handle, probably by the migrant communities that were that we're involved in. That's why we're now excluded from them. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, in perhaps in response to that experience, you've, you're also you mentioned earlier in the interview that you're part of the Disabled Q BIPOC Collective. I just wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about that collective um, and the work that you guys do. Um, I'm actually one fourth of that collective, and Puli Vutuna is uh, usually curates and programs the 3CR Disability um, Day. Uh, is is our uh, fearless leader, and um, the other member is also Hannah Morphy Walsh. And I want to thank as well Gemma Mahadeo, who was also my sensitivity reader for this piece. So we form a collective because we're um, queer, disabled, uh, black, indigenous, people of color, because we're not included usually among... There's this running hashtag on social media. You can always check it. Disability so white or disability too white. And it's a global um, trending, uh, constantly ongoing uh, hashtag on social media. That's great. Thank you so much because, yeah, we'll definitely share that again with listeners. And, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, 3CR Disability Day run by Pauline Fortuna is one of the best days of raid programming on 3CR radio, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Carly, I wanted to come back to you and the social model of disability is something that comes up a lot um, in the anthology as well, including in your introduction where writers often talk about this light bulb moment or finding language to describe their experience. I just want to to ask you to talk a little bit about the social model of disability for listeners. Yeah, so the social model of disability says that disability is a construct um, by society so uh, and our bodies aren't to blame. So, for example, um, a barrier, a, a social barrier or an attitudinal barrier could be that there is no ramp to get in the building so wheelchair users 
cannot get in the building. Or um, an attitudinal barrier is the often low expectations of disabled people. Um, you know, employers just not giving a disabled person the job because of their unconscious or conscious bias. Um, and so if we remove some of those barriers, uh, disabled people, uh, I guess in theory, should be able to lead a full and active life. However, I guess it doesn't apply to every disabled per- person because, I mean, if you remove the barriers for me to become an athlete, that probably isn't going to happen uh, because, my, you know, my body still does let me down in that way and I'm actually not really interested in sports. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, not, it's not for everyone. Yeah. So, yeah, so the social model is is around the barriers constructed by society. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I might just wrap up by asking each of you to talk a little bit bit about where um, listeners can find out more about your work. And I've also seen on Twitter, Carly, that that um, big Twitter storm is happening again around this this, uh, anthology, which is really great to see. So if you could talk a bit about maybe the reception and also um, just other work that you're doing at the moment. Yeah, sure. So you can find the book at um, Black Ink's website, uh, blackinkbooks.com.au, I think, or it might be blackinks.com.au. I'll check. Um, we'll, we'll find out and make sure yeah. we get it right. Yeah. The, the book is, um, yes, blackinkbooks.com.au. The book is available online um, as an e-book. It will be available as an um, audio book soon as well. Um, I'm not sure how long. It shouldn't be too long. A few weeks. I recorded that. I narrated it. So that's exciting. And also it's available in paperback. Uh, lots of, uh, lots and lots of tweets happening and, um, uh, Cubby and some other people in the book are, are uh, you know, tweeting from growing up, this, uh, sorry, from We Are Disabled, the Twitter account We Are Disabled this week. Um, I did it on Monday. Um, the window down today and Robin in tomorrow and I think there might be two others on the weekend. Uh, it's, yeah, so there's you know, a lot of discussion. Um, in terms of what I'm up to at the moment, um, my part-time job is at Melbourne Fringe and we are back for the year uh, now, which is exciting. I'm an access inclusion coordinator there. Um, I've got heaps on with the book and unfortunately I was meant to travel for work today and it's not happening because of COVID. I'm pretty disappointed. I was about to have a stay in a hotel on my own. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'm so close. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing lots of work on um, different things. One of the big things that I did did work on for Growing Up Disabled was putting together a guide for contributors to work with the media and also for the media to report on the book. And I'm pretty proud of that. Um, Hopefully it prepared people who haven't been in the media a lot or haven't done a lot of events or even have had bad experiences in the media prepare for uh, talking about this book. That sounds so awesome. Thank you. And CB, how about you? Could you talk a little bit about where people can find out about the Q BIPOC Collective? Yep, we're on Twitter as um, at disabled Q BIPOC. That's Q-B-I-T-O-C. And uh, we're trying to trend the hashtag G-U-I-D-A, um, grow, or hashtag Growing Up Disabled in Australia. So if you see us, uh, we're on those hashtags um, during this laundry. So that's our um, advocacy and our um, 
uh, yeah, being busy on social media this week while the book launch, doing the book launch. Awesome. Thank you. So yes. for listeners out there, yeah, you can find the book at blackinkbooks.com.au and we'll share a link in our show notes as well. Thank you both so yes. much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. And that was Carly Finlay and C.B. Marco talking about the new anthology Growing Up Disabled in Australia. My name is Selva Kulichelvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country to spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Accented women It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives Accented women What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. And we are back on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m., and now we're joined by Tamika Tai, who is a Gomorrah, Dungari, and Berapi woman and member of Gamilaray Next Generation and FIST, which is fighting in solidarity towards treaties, who joins us to talk about tomorrow's day of action to protest Santos Narabrai Gas Project and the Santos Festival of Rugby. So, Tamika, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks for having me. Um, so before we jump into this, um, could, would you mind uh, introducing yourself in a little bit more detail? Uh, sure. So, um, my name's Tamika. I'm a Gomorrah Dungadi Biripai woman. Um, I'm from Maori. Um, I, as, as you said, I'm a member of um, Gomorrah Next Generation, um, FIST. Um, I'm a student at Macquarie. Um, I don't know what more you want to know about me. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, I think it's just more to give yourself a chance to... Um, put out anything else that you wanted people to know about you. Um, but maybe we can go into talking a bit about Gamilaray Next Generation. Um, when did you form and why? So um, Ruby Wharton put out a call on Facebook um, late last year in response to Susan Lay's decision to approve the um, Santos gas um, mines um, at a federal level. Um, and it was just 
it kind of the disbelief that um, something like this can continue to happen. Um, so, you know, we come together as a collective. We're a young group of Gomorrah, um mob from all across um, Gomorrah country. So um, we're the second largest um, Aboriginal group in New South Wales, I suppose. And um, so we come from quite quite um, a stretch of country there. Um, but yeah, just we, you know, we put a call out on Facebook, and it was just everyone kind of coming together from different clan groups across Gomorrah and um, different families, and uh, wanted to speak up against um, the destruction of our country. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's just it's just appalling that um, Susan Lay has, as the Environment Minister, given. Um, approval for you know fracking in the Pilaga and for for Santos to just go ahead and um, you know attempt to engage in this destruction of country. So could you take us a bit through the Gamilaroi fight against Santos fracking country? What are their plans and um, why do they have to be stopped? Um, so the fight against Santos has been a long um, journey already for Gomoroi. Um There's been issues with Santos um, since the inception of the development. Um, going back near 10 years now. So, um, for the fact, for the simple fact that it, um, it's been approved now, um, at that federal level with Susan May as the environmental minister, um, kind of is the last tick of approval, um, that Santos need in, you know, um, in a federal state, um, process, I suppose. Um, uh, but, you know, they've bypassed completely, um, the, um, approval of Gomorrah people whose country they will be fracking and um, are already destroying. So at the moment, the um, plans are for 850 wells um, for the um, coal seam gas fracking, and um, that will be in the Piliga scrub. And then from there, um, we have the gas pipeline that will be built from um, Narrabri through to the Hunter region. So it's just it's been an issue for, for near 10 years now. But having that final approval at the federal level uh, is kind of the um, the signature on the death certificate, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, there's also concerns, you know, like serious concerns about the desecration of country, but also thinking about things like the impact that this might have on the Great Artesian Basin um, and the fact that, you know, this is, this is going to be, you know, if, if it goes ahead, a much bigger issue than just affecting the country that it's happening on, but is going to affect so many other, you know, the lands of many other Aboriginal people as well. Um, it's not just that one location, but of course, we really need to rally around the fight that's happening there and, and, you know, make sure that the, that your voices are heard and that, you know, people get galvanized about it. Um, because not only are they, not only is Santos planning this, um, this action, but, um, apparently New South Wales rugby and the Queensland Reds are pretty happy to endorse Santos by participating in the Santos Festival of Rugby, which is happening tomorrow, I understand. Um, so could you tell us what that is and why their involvement is such an issue and why they need to be called out? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, this is an attempt of Santos to grab, um, like some social support, I suppose, um, given, um, the independent inquiries into the um, action by Santos saw um, near seven, sorry near ninety seven percent of community against the um, coal and gas fracking. Um, <laughs> this, I suppose, is um, is an attempt to, as, as I said, um, gain a social backing. 
Um, rugby is quite a big sport up here in the northwest. Um, <laughs> I don't know many black people that play it, so <laughs> um, it, that's a bit of a laugh. But um, yes, it's a, it's a big sport up here, so um, it's, it's a strategic move. Um, however, I don't understand um, if I don't think um, the New South Wales Waratahs and Queensland Reds realise that the people who um, are the, a large rugby support. Uh, uh, a large rugby community in the northwest are the farmers who will be affected by the gas mining. So um, that's a bit quite um, quite contradicting. Um, and I don't think um, the rugby even understand the impact that it will have on country. So, you know, I think they should stick to rugby. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, you know, just kind of thinking about broader things that have happened in the news lately and the sort of interaction between racism against Aboriginal people in sport and thinking about, like, you know, what's happening here in NARM with the Collingwood Football Club um, and then thinking as well then about, you know, the, the, the license that, you know, rugby is giving to Santos by sort of participating in this event. It's sort of this broad kind of disregard of what Aboriginal people are saying um, and, you know, what black people are saying generally about concerns about the complicity of sport in sort of normalising um, these really problematic practices and behaviours. Um, so could you talk um, about some of the actions that are coming up tomorrow? That's Friday, the 5th of February, because um, I know initially when we organised this interview, there was the Narrabri action, but now there are actions in Sydney and Melbourne as well. Absolutely. I think um, the, the the social backing and, and the licence that you speak of um, is fundamental to um, getting our message out there right, because if people are... Um, oblivious to what's happening because of the rugby and, you know, are just drawn in because of the rugby, um, I, I feel like it's even more important for us to to host our event at the same time and same place. So, we, you know, we called a day of action in Narrabri against the participation in um, the Festival of Rugby. Uh, but, you know, I, I call on Rugby Australia to take a leaf out of Cricket Australia's book and, and be more aware. Read the room, you know. People don't want mining on our country. People don't want fracking. Um, <laughs> if you're going to play into the hands of po- politics, read the room. Um, but, yeah, so given um, the numbers that we have in Narrabri, um for tomorrow, we're, we're pretty happy with that. Um, but we decided to organise solidarity events in um, in Brisbane and Sydney as well um, for those who can't make it home to Narrabri or um, you know can't just can't get to Narrabri in general. But um, uh, yeah, it'll be good to see the numbers. It's important to um, to to make sure our, our voices are heard, um, given the the attempt of um, of a cash grab from from the rugby clubs and and um, a social licence from Santos. So uh, it's important that we get out there tomorrow and um, and make sure that, um, you know, we, we protect our country and we protect the, the Great Artesian Basin and we protect everyone's um, water resources, I suppose, because without our water, we are nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just that reminder that, you know, even if, if people aren't, 
you know, familiar with engaging in actions like this, it's just so, you know, just a really easy way to sort of step into it is to withdraw your support and participation in these kinds of events to say, you know, this is not okay, that you're not um, supportive of what Santos is doing here and to really amplify the message. So how can people get involved in supporting tomorrow's action and where can they find out more information about Camilla and Next Generation? All of our information regarding tomorrow's events are on our social media platforms. So you can find um, us on Facebook and Instagram at um, Camilla Ray Next Generation. And uh, we have a Twitter account that we're not very active on, but <laughs> you can find us on there too. Um, if you can't make the events, I just call on you to um, get the message out there, share it on your social Sorry, share it on your socials. Um, call on your family and friends to boycott the um, rugby tomorrow. Don't watch it. Um, you know, don't give them the airtime, um, and just do what you can to support. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me about this really important issue, Tamika, and all the best with tomorrow's action. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that was an interview with Tamika Tai from Gamilaray Next Generation and FIST Fighting in Solidarity Towards Treaties, who joined us to talk about tomorrow's day of action to protest Santos Narrabri Gas Project and the Santos Festival of Rugby. Tamika is a Gomoroi, Dangari, and Birapai woman, and she's been a staunch activist against the, uh, the desecration of country that Santos is trying to perpetrate. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855am. So join, joining us now is Adalia Nash Hussein, who is a writer and editor. Her work has appeared in VoiceWorks, The Lifted Brow, Ibis House, Mianjin, and Going Down Swinging. She's also the co-editor at Liminal. And she joins us to discuss the digital launch of VoiceWorks, issue 121, Root, where you will find knitted boyfriends, flooded apartments, and regretful werewolves. And we'll just find out a bit more about that. Thank you so much for joining us, Adalia. Thanks for having me, Sherza. <laughs> um, so, firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Um, yes. So, I am the editor of VoiceWorks. Um, VoiceWorks is a journal of writing by under 25. Um, so, you know, 
um, we have some really amazing poets that are, you know, 15 and 16. I'm always really awed by that. Um, and then our editors are also all under 25. Um, so that means that it's kind of meant to be like a, it's like a, a training ground kind of thing. And so a lot of really amazing writers have come through um, the, the VoiceWorks system. I've been having an amazing time. Now we're back in our offices um, looking through all the archives because we started in 1988 and looking through all of the amazing um, work by young writers that have that have come through VoiceWorks. Um, yeah, so I think it's been complicated with the pandemic. Um, we usually have in-person meetings and all of that kind of stuff, so a lot of what I've been doing has been um, navigating how to manage the online, in-person balance and all of that kind of stuff lately. But, um, but I'm also really passionate about kind of... Uh, working on editorial ethics as part of our um, kind of uh, sort of education program, I guess, as editors come through and as writers come through, that they can get that best possible editorial experience and that um, I think because so many people who then go on to work in other part of the publishing industry come through VoiceWorks and because things like, you know, just basic stuff like email templates and stuff end up trickling into these other organisations as, as those editors come through, um, I'm hoping that, yeah, in kind of having these really robust uh, templates and discussions for discussions about ethics, um, that will also trickle up through. Oh, I'm interested in your discussion. So I had, a, I was, I'm supposed to ask about what, what you mean by what uh, knitted boyfriends and some other delights. But like, firstly, I want to know a bit more about these, um, the ethic, these ethical considerations that you're talking about. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's especially important um, with these uh, young writers that we have right now because they're, it's their first time being published and I think that that's always, a, or not always, lots of them are very experienced, they've been published many times, but um, for many of them it's their first time being published and so I think that can be a really nerve-wracking experience and also it's often work that's really personal and so I think, um, yeah, I think in terms of ethics, like I think sometimes... Um, there can be considerations around things like, for example, um, work that is like especially uh, like personal and coming from maybe experiences of trauma that the editing process, even if it's not um, unkind or something, but just even simple things like seeing changes that the writer wouldn't actually uh, feel bad about, but seeing those made um, directly using track changes rather than... Um, for example, maybe suggested by a comment like, hey, I think this comma doesn't need to be here. And just letting the writer make that choice themselves, I think, can prevent the editing process from being as re-traumatizing as it might otherwise be, just seeing your words change when it's taken you so long to come to them. Um, it really helps to, to to let the writers make those choices themselves. So, yeah, just those kinds of kinds of small things and um, and how we kind of think about. And then similarly, stuff like, um, you know, especially um, how writing from people of colour, or for example, might be um, often kind of uh, funneled into certain narratives, and and we're making sure that we're not selecting work that is that is doing that, or that we're not editing work in such a way that it reinforces those kinds of stereotypical um, perspectives um, that we might see. Oh, that's so 
uh, good to hear, especially about subverting the sort of editorial uh, process, <laughs> uh, which is an important thing to do considering it's mostly owned by white men. Anyway, um, yeah. so <laughs> um, tell us a bit about um, Root or issue number 121 of VoiceWorks. Uh, and I introduced it to listeners as um, they will be able to find knitted boyfriends, flooded apartments and regret-filled werewolves. Yeah, there's a lot of really um, beautiful pieces in it. And I think um, something I always love about VoiceWorks is I think um, because uh, there's, there's a, a, young, a, a younger um, voice coming through, I think you can kind of get some really, really strange um, and exciting perspectives. So regret-filled werewolves. We have a really amazing um, comic about a kind of werewolf who... Uh, it starts with, I'm cursed, it sucks TBH. Um, and I think it's like a, a really interesting take on thinking about like werewolves as a like mental health kind of, um, metaphor and stuff. But there's like a humor that comes through. And similarly, I think the knitted boyfriend is like a take on that making your perfect man kind of thing. And it just becomes steadily more unhinged as the, as the piece goes on. And I think it's really, um, well balanced with that kind of imagery of like building something out of knitting and the way knitting unravels as the kind of writer's, um, as the not writer, the uh, narrator's mind kind of unravels. I think it's, um, yeah, it's really cool. And, and yeah, similarly, there's a piece, um, yeah, that's about, uh, this, this couple moving into an apartment and kind of, um, some like cultural tensions coming through. And then, uh, I think some of the kind of, uh, yeah, supporting each other, and then suddenly the apartment floods, and it's this kind of um, cathartic moment of black distress. It's it's really good. Um, and you were talking about uh, voice works. Oh, well, firstly, it's a digital launch today, and it's at three yes. p.m. Um, yep. what, what, what's a digital, well, we know what a digital launch is, um, but I suppose could you talk a bit about the digital launch and, um, I guess the, the contours around organizing that, uh, especially in the light of the, um, recently announced, uh, next level of COVID restrictions, uh, from today onwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've been having digital launches for the print mag since, um, I think for the last five issues, maybe, um, since, since our autumn issue last year, um, and because of COVID, um, and, and yeah, I think so usually our launches, I think it's been, um, exciting, but also difficult in terms of, I think, um, having to rethink our launches, obviously, and not just be able to do the, the sort of regular thing that we would do, um, has, has allowed us to think about like what is it that we want these launches to do and to kind of push ourselves a bit further in terms of like okay and and think when hopefully we can eventually have in-person events I think we also have really um hopefully exciting and cool ideas of how to make those events um more like fun and inviting and exciting and things but um yeah I think you know something I'm really interested in and that I think VoiceWorks um I hope does really well is um, thinking about the medium of print and the medium of online. So we also have a digital publication that releases a couple of issues a year that are very, like, digital-specific. You know, we'll have interactive elements, videos, animation, that kind of stuff. We really want to be um, 
thinking about, you know, with the print, the design is really a strong element and making sure we're talking with writers who might have kind of those more design um, thinky pieces about how to lay those out and, and thinking about, you know, what, what is a print object and what's the value of something being, being a, a voice works being a print journal versus something online. Um, and similarly, what, what's the value of our online publication being online rather than just is this stuff that we couldn't fit in the print or something? And so similarly, I think we've started having those considerations with the events where um, is, is the purpose of our digital events and, and our in-person events, like what are we trying to, what is achievable through them and what are we trying to achieve through them? And I think it's been um, a really good step to step back, but also hard, obviously. Um, so, yeah, with the digitals, we've been getting um, some people to read. And then um, for a few of them, we've got to have some – we've done some really silly things, like we had um, our as-if launch. We launched in Animal Crossing, so we had little digital avatars for all the characters um, to kind of come and introduce the different readings and silly things like that. And we had some um, – uh, like art and T-shirts and merch and stuff that you could um, download if you had Animal Crossing, so that you could have VoiceWorks art in in your voice in your uh, in your Animal Crossing town. And then we did for butter. We had some like uh, I did like a cooking video kind of thing over my speech, and we had some some food kind of stuff integrated. And um, and this one is kind of like I think maybe a a bridging of that physical and online in terms of that um, Express, which who are the the small um, youth media company that publish VoiceWorks, um, have just returned to our offices part time, and so I kind of we got I got the Express media staff to introduce all of the different pieces from the different part of our office, and I kind of showed off some parts of our office and sort of um, to kind of I guess I don't know I don't want to get too like metaphorical, but I guess to sort of you know think about that like being online like welcoming you the way that we've had to sort of welcome everybody into our homes a little bit um that now it's like okay well this is our professional space that I guess people also don't get to really see most of the time so yeah that was kind of that's what this launch has um and then yeah some really cool readings we have um uh, a reading from a comic artist and a poet and um from a fiction piece uh, look, metaphor- metaphorical is good. Okay, so, <laughs> um, and I guess just to just to wrap up, could you uh, let listeners, or if listeners want to join the uh, digital launch, or have a get a copy, uh, how can they do that? Um, you, yeah, yeah, so probably the the easiest way is to go to voicefolksmag.com.au and there'll be links that will redirect to our shop and to um, our YouTube where the thing will be streaming um, or to follow us on social media. We'll also be linking out on all of our social media. So we're at voiceworksmag on, I think, everything. Um, yeah, that's the best way to do it. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Adalia, for joining us. Um, and let you, listeners know um, how to get the latest issue of the digital law or the latest issue of VoiceWorks, um, issue number 121, called Root. Thank you so much. Thanks, Shazad. Thanks. Um, and that was Adalia Nash Hussain, who is a writer and editor, and she spoke with us about the digital launch of VoiceWorks issue number 121, Root. 
And you're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. It is coming up to 8.30 a.m., so just before we sign off, we wanted to reiterate the uh, changes to COVID-19 restrictions, which came into force from 11.59 p.m. last night on the 3rd of February. So the limit of people gathering in a household has been reduced from 30 to 15. Um, Masks are mandatory in public indoor spaces, and if you have visitors in your home, strongly recommended that masks are worn then. And the 75% return-to-work cap in both public and private sectors scheduled for Monday the 8th will be paused, and the current cap of 50% will remain in place. And we encourage you to go to dhhs.vic.gov.au slash coronavirus to find out about exposure sites um, and find out um, everything else that you need to know about how to keep yourself safe and, and the community safe as well. And one final thing before we go is just to mention that today, the 4th of February, the Sri Lankan government celebrates the 73rd anniversary of the country's independence from British rule. Um, but Tamil-speaking people um, obviously call this Tamil Oppression Day, where it mar- marks the day where one oppressor handed power to another. So this Saturday, the 6th of February at 2 p.m., uh, the Tamil Refugee Council is organizing a gathering at the State Library of Victoria to call on supporters among the Sinhala and international communities to stand with Tamil people in their resistance to military occupation of the Tamil homeland. So that's what we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye, Shahrazad. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.